Welcome to the Corbell Career Cast, the podcast from the Office of Career and Professional Development at the Joseph Corbell School of International Studies at the University of Denver. Today, we are excited to be joined by Shreya Subedi, who is currently a master's in public policy at the Corbell School of International Studies. Shreya will interview our alum, who is a graduate from spring 2022, Wandamana Palos, who is currently a senior program associate at Freedom House. Thank you so much for being here today with us. I'll let you guys take it on. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Me. Thank you so much, Jamie. Um, welcome to the podcast one day. Uh, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. And I'm really excited to get to know more about you, your experience working, uh, and your experience as an international student in the U.S. as a whole. So as podcast usually goes, why don't we start with a small introduction about yourself, who you are, your name, your program of study here at Corbell, when did you graduate, and your current work at Freedom House. Yes, thank you, Shreya. Um, and good to see Jamie. <laughs> it's been it's been a while since we spoke last. Uh, yes, my name is Wanda Nabalos. I studied international development at the Corbell School and graduated in June 2022. So it's just past year. And currently I work at Freedom House um, and within Freedom House I work, I work on the Africa team. And I am a senior program associate focusing on our East Africa portfolios. So I have three countries that I help manage, uh, including a regional program. Um, I work in the Ethiopia, Uganda, and Tanzania portfolios that we have. And we have a regional AGOA uh, program that I help manage with my small team. That sounds very exciting. And um, it's really nice to hear about the work that you're currently doing. But I would also like to know more about your organization as a whole and what they do. What are the key areas that they work in? What is their mission? Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's a funny coincidence because both in undergrad and grad school, I've used the Freedom in the World report that Freedom House publishes every year for classes. And I've always seen the name, the reputation. Um, and it was interesting to, to be graduating from Corbell and in my search, trying to figure out where to work. And Freedom House was one of the places that I was applying. So it's kind of an interesting coincidence coming from academia to work. But Freedom House, I don't have the exact um, year it was founded. I believe we've just celebrated our 70th anniversary um, this past year. And um, it was founded by uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. So it has a big uh, background to it, especially if you're familiar with the UN um, human rights agenda. She was one of the narrators. So it was interesting to also have Freedom House under that. And Freedom House, generally, it's hard to exactly describe uh, what we do in one sentence because we work on different issues. But if I try to describe it in short list of words, I believe that Freedom House works to empower 
populations, citizens around the world to live a free life and hold their government accountable. So that is packaged into the idea of democracy seen as the remedy for various social, economic, political issues that are in different countries. So in a small way of explaining what Freedom House is, I think that is how I will characterize it. We have uh, focus areas in different regions. So as I mentioned earlier, I work on the Africa team. So we do have teams all around the world. We have our Asia team, we have our Euro Asia, uh, we have our Europe team as well. Uh, we have our Latin American Caribbean. We have, as I said, I work in the Africa team, uh, but we also do some work in the US as well because US democracy also uh, isn't perfect. And um, especially recently, there's been more danger and more um, more alar alarm into you know preserving democracy as well. So uh, while we do have this umbrella idea of what kind of work we do, it's regional focus. And that's why I'm working with the Africa team. That actually seems really great. It seems to me like your organization is doing some really important work uh, also in the US and all around the world. And I'm so glad that you got to be a part of this organization that you looked up to uh, while you were in your undergrad and grad. Uh, that sounds very exciting. And um, of course, uh, uh, you were here as an international student in the US, right? So um, for international students, uh, sometimes applying for jobs and job search uh, is not as easy as I've heard. So I just want to know your experience uh, as an international student while you were doing this job search, while you're applying for jobs, and uh, finally when you got the job, uh, your experience as a whole, and what were areas that uh, you thought were difficult for you that you wish that other international students uh, would know so that they will be prepared for it when they're beginning their search as well? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's so difficult and it's so complicated that being an international student in the US and Jamie could attest to that, you know, I've had many conversations with her, uh, not just from the case of my own employment journey, but also within my uh, work with the student government when I was a student at Corbell, we were working on how to improve, you know, how international students are supported, especially when they were looking for jobs. So it is exhausting. Um, it is, uh, uh, I'm sorry to say that, but it's something that won't escape you even once you have a job. So <laughs> I deal with it even now. But, um, you know, as someone who, I've been in the country for 11 years. So I've been dealing with my status for so long and I've had to, go through this before so that's something that i think for me personally it was helpful that after undergrad i was doing the same thing um so i think one of the challenges is uh you know we are going through the spring you know quarter the winter quarter i, I try to start thinking about applying for jobs early way earlier because for international students our playing field is not leveled as our you know, American friends. So we have to start a bit early. 
Um, but we're doing that in the middle of, you know, finishing up classes and working on, you know, papers and all those things, plus other jobs we have. Um, so that balancing your time was one of the things that was a lot and that's something that I had to discipline myself um, is that, you know, every week trying to set a plan for myself to say, I'm applying to this many jobs or I'm working on my resume or cover letter and all of those things. So that part, I think it's difficult. The other part, the difficult part is, uh, you know, you have people that want to help, but not everyone know how to, knows how to help you or how to direct you to the right places. And I think this is a conversation I've had with Jamie and her office as well is that, you know, yes, you, you have resources that is, you know, given for everyone, but sometimes it becomes a bit, it becomes a bit lonely, I think, um, or it becomes that, you know, your case is a bit different um, and you want to find those resources. So that's another big thing. I think for me, it was a bit different because I went through it. So I had the knowledge of it. It was, um, it, it wasn't easy, but it was something I passed through for my other friends that were coming to the U.S. just to study you know masters it was a new thing so it was a whole shock and I was able to you know explain the process and all of that so that's another issue then the other one I would say issue and hardship is that you know I'll speak for myself because I don't want to generalize international students but for me to sit down and think listen I have the education cred credentials I am prepared to interview, to apply, blah, blah, blah. And I know I am the right fit for this position. But when you're doing applications for jobs, usually not just for international students, for everyone, people don't see anything except what you show them on your resume and your cover letter. You're just a number. So how to get out of that uh, and to not have our status, my status being you know, the default uh, X mark, uh, because I've had a couple of interviews that ended shortly because once the interviewers would find out I'm not a US citizen, they don't even want to deal with it. Um, although I have a permit <laughs> to work and um, I'll be okay. So that's another big issue that is unfortunately out of my control, out of our control. It's something that takes coaching, that takes patience and also just the reputation. It's a numbers game. You just keep going. Anyways, I'll stop there. I would say those are the few challenges that I have seen for myself and also for my other colleagues that were international students. Thank you so much for uh, sharing that. Uh, that does sound like a very stressful situation. And this is something that uh, I also heard from uh, some of our international alumni. Uh, that I had a chance to talk with. I guess we do share some of the similar opinions. <laughs> uh, you mentioned that uh, while interviewing for some of the uh, you know organizations, uh, they would they would not look beyond the fact that you were an international student, which is disheartening. But uh, was there any um, you know sort of criteria that you kind of made for yourself to apply for organizations uh, while you were doing your job, job search or something that you particularly looked at as an international student uh, while you were uh, starting in your journey for getting a job? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I think um, you start one, I, I would, again, I would say, I started with just the general criteria that not just international students, but everyone that was about to graduate was having. One, you know, you look at salary. Um, I live in DC. Uh, I live in downtown DC. <laughs> That's expensive. So you have to think of, okay, you know, if I'm living, you know, if I'm going to, you know, DC, if I'm living in Denver, um, you know, if I'm going somewhere, like, you know, the how much is this position going to pay me? Um, also looking into, you know, the position title, all of those things that um, that require you to be more prepared. But as an international student, the addition is that I looked into uh, companies that would possibly sponsor uh, my H-1B student uh, outside of the student visa, so it's my work visa. So it's nothing is guaranteed. Um, they probably wouldn't even talk to you in the Java interview process, but something to consider. Um, I went into websites that listed, you know, top 100 companies that sponsored H-1Bs, you know, last year. I would look to see if there's any interest. Unfortunately, a lot of them are tech companies that are hiring people, not my expertise or positions I'm looking for, but you might find, you know, some. Um, and then I think also looking into the culture of the companies, uh, Freedom House, you know, we have a lot of people from different countries working. Uh, unfortunately, the COVID pandemic has disrupted a lot of that, but I still go to the office sometimes out of option. I don't have to, but I go. But my colleagues used to tell me the floor used to be filled with people speaking different languages. And it's just the kind of environment that I like. So it's some of it is a kind of I want or I would like, but some of it is just you have to keep an eye out for, you know, would they maybe sponsor my visa? Uh, or do they have offices in other countries? That's another thing you could also consider as maybe some companies might let you work. If it doesn't work out here, you can go back to your country and work. So there are things like that I've considered. Working in an organization like that seems really great. Being amongst people with different nationalities, different culture is always an enriching experience for yourself as well. So um, that sounds amazing. Um, after you went through this process of like, you know, tedious process of job search as uh, you've described it and as many others have. Um, what did the process of, uh, you know, finally getting a job and going into a job look like? Because uh, we know that we have some uh, legal, uh, you know, conditions that we have to fulfill to have the work permit, uh, optional um, OTP. Uh, I think. Um, and uh, what did that process look like? How long was the process? And did you find that to be difficult? Um, just in general about your switch from a graduate student to a professional working person? Sorry, I me and myself, there's a truck backing up, making little beep noises. If you can't hear it, ignore it. Um, that's that's an interesting question. I think OPT, you know, it, it takes it takes a lot of work, but if you do the things that you need to do, it's a very straightforward, easy thing. I think and this whole immigration experience I've been dealing with for the last 11 years, OPT is probably one of the easiest things, but you have to be proactive about it. You cannot lay around and wait until March, you know, to think about OPT. 
then you're going to pay for it. Um, so to explain that, I think for me, I personally, since I've done this before after under, undergrad, so I know uh, with OPT, uh, I believe you can apply for it 90 days before graduation. So starting 90 days before you graduate, that's three months. So I had in my, you know, in my head, okay, graduate in early June, you know, three months before that, I know by March, I'll have to have submitted it. So you do that and it's not required you do 90 days. It's just, it's, you can start uh, because they also say when you apply, it takes three to five months to process and receive. So that's something that you have to consider. You also have to consider when you would like to start working uh, because when you apply for an OPT, although you might not have a job, uh, you know, a job lined up, you still have to pick a date that you want to start working. So for me, I don't really like to have a lot of free time. So I said, okay, two weeks is enough after graduation to relax. I want to start working. So when I applied for my OPT, I put two weeks after graduation as a start date. So that's something you'll have to do as well. Um, generally, if you kept up with, you know, all of your immigration paperwork and all of that, you'll be fine. You know, make sure that you get your I, updated I-20 and all those paperwork. Once you do that, you apply for the OPT. It's such a short application. It's not hard. Um, you just put when you would like to start working and that's it. And you just fill a short form and you wait. And luckily I did it actually the first day it was available. So the 90th day that it was available to apply, I applied for it. It took a month for me to get my uh, OPT approved and I got my work authorization card. I've had friends that waited until May to apply for it. Then they had to wait two months after graduation to get their authorization. So that's two months that you cannot work, you cannot earn money. So my point being, you start early, the reward will be greater. Although it's hard because you don't know, you might have a job. Maybe it's uh, something that would you know encourage you to step up your job application because now you actually have a date that you have to start working. Yeah, that uh, is uh, something that I would keep in my brain and locked up <laughs> because uh, I've heard this uh, from you and from uh, some other alumni that you need to start your uh, process sooner as well. Uh, and uh, that is something I will definitely consider and will spread the word to my fellow international students as well. Um, um, Another question that I actually wanted to ask you was, while we know uh, the organization does uh, look for and a work permit, are there any other documents or uh, that organizations that are hiring international students usually need or look for? That's a, that's a good question. I think, you know, this is a very contentious topic because one, um, so your OPT, right? You receive your OPT and with your OPT, there is an EAD card I have in my wallet somewhere that is basically looks like a driver's license and it's your work authorization. You have, if you're not a STEM student, you have it for a year. And then that is, you know, that would allow you to work in your related field. So technically, uh, and re in reality as well, no one should ask you if you're, you know, able to work or not, because you, you actually could work, you have that authorization. So what I tell to a lot of people when I speak is that 
to international students, you know, don't look, don't worry about all of that. Worry about getting your foot on the door, getting that interview. Because once people actually talk to you and they can see that they, you know, you're warm, you're, you know, they, they can see yourself working with them, uh, then that, that would be the easier part. Um, rather than that, you really, you don't need any other paperwork. Even your, you know, EAD card, you don't need to show them until you go, you actually get the job and you, 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 asked, uh, you get asked by HR <laughs> to prove that you can actually work in the States. So I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, there's a way to mention in your interview that you have a work permit for a year and um, you can discuss you know, further in another time if you get the job. Or sometimes maybe it's not even a point to bring it up because you actually have a permit for a year. And my personal kind of guidance is that actually, because you're not lying because you actually could work for a year. Why bring it up and have it be, you know, in the way of you even getting an interview? So uh, the only, you really don't need um, any paperwork because even while you're waiting for your OPT, you have to interview, keep interviewing as if you have your OPT approved because it's going to take time. And once you get it, once you get the job, you communicate. This is the date I will, you know, start. And that's because legally you cannot start before that day. So you can just say, I will start in this day. And then once you get your card, you can send that to HR and you'll be fine. Um, so I would say, yes, don't, don't overthink that. Just apply as if you're an American. And um, because you have, you know, a year to work and that's fine. But once you start having conversation, that's on you to, to tell how little or how much more. That is a wonderful advice. Um, I would like to uh, kind of switch our conversation uh, towards your work and what you're doing right now. Um, could you tell us more about what your day-to-day -day work life looks like right now? And who are the people that you usually interact with since you manage a lot of countries and your work seems to be doing a very important as well as insensitive uh, uh, areas so what does uh, a day look like for you yeah you know there isn't really a day that is the same um we have different you know seasons we have uh, times where you know so some expected activities happen so we get busy um i work specifically so weekly I work with my Africa team. So we have check-ins where we talk about what we're doing that week or you know, any other thing. We also have check-ins with our country offices. So we trying to figure out you know, what's going on. But on the daily, I work with my own specific team that is the East Africa team because we have this, this small portfolio of you know, uh, projects. So the, you know, that's the group of people that I'm you know, every day on my chat, talking to on calls, trying to figure out um, and usually my day really starts um, just because of my team. Our team norm is actually my day starts at 8 a.m. Because our um, countries in East Africa, it's evening for them. It's right before they get out of work. So I start my day early and usually try to catch any emails that come from, you know, our country offices um, and trying to help them with any of the inquiries or anything Outside of that, you know, my job uh, would have to do with make, making sure that I'm supporting the country offices with the projects that we have ongoing, 
uh, that means um, with any activities they're doing, you know, reports they're sending, and all of these things, um, and having trainings. I just on Monday um, finished a training um, series we've been having for the last three weeks. So there's a lot that goes with that. A big aspect of it is also budget. That's something that I'm learning a lot, um, making sure that you know our projects that we're doing in countries are you know following our budgets that we have um so a lot of details i have to look for um and really yes there are things that come all the time every day new things that come um but there are some things that are seasonal for example in the, in the winter i spent more time looking at subgrant applications and going through them and whether you know approving or having them redo and things like that so uh, and other times we can have kind of a quieter but more administrative kind of weeks um so it varies really i can't tell you every day what i'm doing because it's things come up um and yeah and that's another kind of skill is to be able to be you know agile to be thrown into any situation Thank you so much for bringing skills yourself, because that was my next question, um, because there are a lot of students who are looking for jobs right now. And uh, if uh, there's a student uh, very excited and looking to work in the field that you are working in, what are necessary skills and experience that you think they should be honing right now to, you know, get a job in your field and also to excel at it? You know, um, although I am a young professional, <laughs> but I've had some experience before working, but even at Corbell, um, one of the big things I would say, I think I can go on and list all these skills, which I think you can just go find in job listings, you know, what kind of skills they look for. But I think the biggest, biggest skill that everyone should have, and not even now, I think even if I am, you know, in my 60s trying to get a new job, I think everyone needs to be, in my opinion, to be flexible to learning new things, new systems. Uh, I think that's a big thing is, you know, I came from finishing grad school and we are very competent and, you know, we're smart and, you know, studied so much, but now jumping into a new place where I'm learning all these new things kind of makes you feel dumb. Like, <laughs> I don't know any of these things, what's going on. And it takes time because learning systems, learning relationships, you know, learning even names of, you know, the different people I'm having to deal with every day, it takes time. And if you're not a person who's going to be molded into these places on being able to be flexible, you will have a hard time. You know, if you if you come out of grad school thinking you know everything and you, you're just going to do all of that, good luck to you. You might might as well open your own company and be your own boss. But if you're trying to get into this kind of position, especially in the international affairs realm, I think being able to put different hats, uh, try different things, um, and just being flexible of learning. And it takes, some things take months to learn. And I have to deal with that. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, you're not competent or you don't know. It's just, it's a new place. There are new systems you're learning. So that's something that I think I'll give to anyone, not even people in our field or international students. I think with everyone looking for jobs, you should be able to be flexible. I love the uh, quote you said, putting on different hats. That was a really nice way to summarize everything. Um, 
as you know that uh, we are currently in our spring quarter. So <laughs> we are a lot of students are tidying up their pants for internship and others for, uh, you know, jobs. So I would want to know if your organization has any, uh, you know, formal internships or opportunities right now and how can uh, students, you know, access the, the, these kind of opportunities? Just that in general, I guess. Yeah, I think um, so. We do have. If you go to our website, Freedom House, uh, if you go to careers, there's a section for internships um, and also fellowships as well. So I think that's something. Even if you're not looking for an month, whatever, if you have a few places in mind, just go into the website. And if you go and so we do. I actually checked just because I saw your question. I checked before this, and right now I don't see any internship listed. Maybe they're working on that, but there's a fellowship that is hosted. I think they're looking actually for like four people or so. Um, so there are things like that that are happening. So um, and websites, you know, change as I said. Now it might no internship listed, but if you check tomorrow, they could be listed. So I would I would suggest that you you know, keep looking into the website, not just Freedom House, but any other places you're interested in. And also just contact people too. reach out, you know, on LinkedIn, whatever, if alums, you know, you have this opportunity to say, is there anything, if, if I don't see anything here, you can say, is there anything outside of your organization that you've heard of or keep, you know, near out from me or something like that. But yes, many resources out there. Thank you so much for informing uh, about that. Um, I'd like to ask one last question before we close this up, because I feel like this is a very important question in regards to the surroundings that we're having right now and also in regards to our economy as a overall. So uh, we all know that we're going through difficult times, not only in the US, but globally as well. So what kind of, uh, well, it might not be completely, you know, you cannot say exactly, but what kind of changes do you see in your job fields or in the trend over as a whole because of these um, situations? So I don't think I am <laughs> at liberty to, you know, answer that, but I can just give my educated guess on that. Um, you know, I'm no economist, but I think, um, I think especially in our field, um, I don't think that is as scary uh, because, you know, these things are well-funded usually and um, organizations might maybe pause, you know, hiring new people, maybe limit how many people they hire. But I think it's kind of safe. Uh, and I'm comparing that with right, like what we see with the IT industry right now, a lot of layoffs and things like that. But we're different. I think this is the developments, you know industry is a bit different and it's a bit more safer, I would say. Um, so I wouldn't really, I mean, freak out about it. You know, not that I was working in 2008, but <laughs> I think you should be able to, you know, find a job. It's just a matter of just time. As I said earlier, I think it's a numbers game. Um, yeah, I've, I have applied to so many different jobs because a lot of times you don't even get, you know, an answer. So if you just think, oh, there are two places I just want to apply, you're playing against yourself and against time. Just throw your, you know, hat everywhere and then see what comes back. 
Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. And thank you so much for all of the advice that you gave. And it was wonderful listening to your experience uh, working in Freedom House, which seems like an amazing organization. Uh, it was great to have you here. And thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. And on behalf of all of us in at Corbell and the Office of Career and Professional Development, thank you, Shreya and Wendemina. You guys are both incredible resources. Um, thank you for today. I am constantly inspired by what our graduates are up to. Um, you guys are doing important work in the world and especially around issues of democracy right now. So thank you so much for sharing this. Um, and thank you for joining us today on the Corbell Career Cast. We look forward to hear, having you here next time.